another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed on him to listen to the Word of God. He noticed, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Simon, sorry, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the, in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what, was, what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. I read this passage recently. And this old passage, this passage that I've read so many times, came alive in my heart again. And I want to preach to you from it this morning on the topic, an empty boat. An empty boat. What I love about this passage, it begins by telling us that Jesus was preaching. Jesus was filling his days always on this planet with preaching. We should never get over the simplicity of preaching. In fact, before Jesus' public ministry records miracles, it records his sermons. His sermons open the door, and I believe in the preaching of the Word of God. You should preach to yourself. You should preach to your heart. You should preach to your family. You should preach to one another. Lift each other up in your holy faith. And the Bible tells us that as Jesus was preaching, so many people were drawn just to his words that they pressed around him. They leaned in on him. They surrounded him. And the Bible says that he lacked a place to go. In verse 2 is really where my reading of this passage jumped in for me on my recent reading through of it. As the Bible says that Jesus noticed two empty boats. He averted his eyes. He was looking for something to use. He was looking for a solution to his problem. Now, I hope you and I realize this morning that the God of the universe is still working in our generation. He is still doing great things. Can I get an amen? 
He has got a great plan for New Zealand, got a great plan for the world. He is working in great signs and wonders. He's got a plan for Johubaru, Malaysia, where people are dialing in to be part of this message today. And as Jesus was about the task of preaching, he reached a place where he's looking for something, looking for a solution. You know, sometimes in life you can get the feeling like God isn't using you, like your day hasn't come, like things aren't working out the way you want, looking for that special plan to come alive in your life. It's important to know, my friends, that no matter whether you're in delay or fulfillment, God has a plan for every life. He has a plan for every life. No matter who you are, if you are breathing, then God has a unique purpose for you. Can you say amen today? And the Bible says that Jesus looks and he notices. And the Bible says that what, he, what, what, what grabs his attention, what arrests his focus is two empty boats. As I read this, I thought about the profound reality that God notices things that are empty. That he sees things that are empty. That his attention is drawn towards empty vessels. You know, in life, we can easily think, well, where is God and why is God not moving in my life? And the simple answer can be that sometimes the reason why we're not walking in what we want to walk in, why we're not seeing God do what we would desire God to do is that there is just too much fullness in our lives, too full, too full of our fears, too full of our anxieties, too full of our own ambitions too full of our own desires. And when God finds a life that is too full, look, He might see you, but He doesn't notice a life that is full. He's not drawn towards fullness. He is drawn towards emptiness. I mean, we find that with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's a yuppie. He's a, he's a young Inca. For all those in Malaysia, we're here this morning, literally in like the crack of dawn because we're in a a different venue. And so, you know, we're we're trying to get people to come to an early service. And I prophesy not so with so much faith this morning that as the day goes on, the services in this venue are going to go from one level to two levels to three levels as the day continues. And, uh, you know, it's a cold, wintry morning here in Wellington. But we've got a lot of young Incas in the service and God bless you. Even without children, you manage to come to the service. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, kick off for the All Blacks is at 11 a.m. And that's why you're smart and hopefully you're earning good money. But, you know, Jesus found a young Inca. He found a young yuppie. He found a rich, young ruler. And he's like, why is the plan of God not working in my life? And Jesus says, well, you, if you want my plan to come to you, then you have to empty yourself. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. Then you will have the opportunity for heaven to deposit into your life. And my friends, no matter what the plan is, if any man, any woman wants God to use them, the first thing they must do is empty themselves of all that they are to be filled with everything that he is. This is the start of life. This is where the journey of Christ kicks off. This is where the power of heaven collides with the life. When a life empties themselves of themselves, then it is then able to be filled with what God is going to bring. 
Emptiness is the beginning of promotion. Emptiness is the beginning of the move of God. Emptiness is what attracts God's attention. When Jesus performed his first ever recorded miracle, the Bible says that he was at a wedding and they ran out of wine. Controversial topic. They ran out of wine and six earthen vessels are empty to the side. Jesus, goaded by his mother, says there's vessels over here and they're empty. The first thing I want you to do is fill them with water. And my friends, the first filling you get with God is to be filled with the water of his word. If you want the power of God to use you in your life, then empty yourself of all that you are and then begin to fill your heart and fill your mind and fill your spirit with the Word of God. I became a Christian. I can testify to this. At the age of 18, a lost, broken teenager. But from the time that I found Jesus and He stepped into my life, I began to devote my life to this book. I've studied it my entire life. I have filled myself with this word. And this word will wash you. This word will prepare you. This word which is in your life will get you ready. And then once the water had filled the vessels, then Jesus transformed it into wine. See, the power of God can touch a life that is empty and a life that is on a journey towards discovering what God has. Jesus notices empty vessels. He notices empty lives. He notices people that have emptied themselves. And then the Bible says in our next verse this morning, in verse 3, that he stepped into one of the boats. See, I want you to know that it's one thing to empty yourself. It's another thing when Jesus steps in. It's another deal altogether when the king of the universe begins to jump into your life. It struck me as I read this that empty vessels will be filled that empty lives will be used, that God will never leave you alone. When you seize a person, these boats, by the way, they weren't just empty and dejected. They were empty and in the right place. Sometimes, sometimes people are empty, but they're so empty that they're thinking to themselves, I, I, I just need to, I don't know. They, they, they confuse preparation for rejection. We, we lose the fact that even when we're empty, we've got to be in the right place. The Bible says that they were, literally, the Bible states, he saw two empty boats that were at the edge of the water. The waters in the Bible, waters from the book of Ezekiel, the Bible says that, you know, there is a river that flows to the waters. The waters always speak of the nations. And these boats, they're not just positioned anywhere. They're positioned at the edge of where God could use them. Don't just get empty. Get where God can jump in. I mean, right now this morning, right here in New Zealand and hearing this in Johabaru, Malaysia, people that are in the right environment are taking steps towards Jesus jumping in. You know, people who aren't positioning their lives in the right place should never expect to be filled. But the Bible says that they were positioned, they were ready, they were at the right place. And then the Bible says that in that right environment, that Jesus jumped into their boats. You know, it's amazing when the Bible says that Saul, when Jesus, the king Saul, when Jesus jumped in, when the power of the Holy Spirit jumped into his life, that he was changed into a different person. The Bible talks about Moses. And it says about Moses that he was so empty 
and he thought he had nothing, but God said, throw down your stick. Jensen preached on this at a rise conference, and when he picked up the stick, sorry, when he threw down the stick, that the stick became a snake. That it doesn't matter how little you feel you have to offer, how little we feel we have to offer, how disqualified we might seem in the natural. An empty vessel can have God step into it. And when God steps into it, what God can do is beyond our wildest dreams. Oh, man. William Booth is one of my favorite church leaders, the founder of the Salvation Army. I mean, he started the Salvation Army after a lot of bad days in his life. Pastor at a church, failed. Became a street evangelist, failed. One night, he's walking home Christmas Eve, sees children standing outside pubs. Christmas in England is in the winter. They have no shoes on. Mum and dad are alcoholics. They're inside the pub spending dad's holiday pay on alcohol when they should be using it to feed and clothe their children. And he thinks, I've got to do something about this. And the idea of the Salvation Army was birthed. He started the Salvation Army, and in five years, without a PA system, without an automobile, without a plane. He led 210,000 people to Jesus. After 20 years of leading the Salvation Army, their assets totaled 15 million pounds, and I believe the year was 1907. And the Bible records, sorry, history records, history records that in the final days of William Booth, he was interviewed in America by a reporter who asked William Booth the question, how is it that one man has been able to accomplish so much. He began to list off, you know, the, the changes that had come to societies, India, you know, Africa, England, countries around the world. Still today, the number one cure of alcohol addiction is the Salvation Army. To this very day, he began to list off the accomplishments to William Booth as a preamble to his answer. And William Booth begins to cry. And he says, I do not know. I don't know. But I would have to say that Jesus has always had all of me. See, my friends, I'm, yeah, come on. Can we give God some praise for that? Jesus has always had all of me. He's always had all of me. See, empty lives that are in the right place will experience in their own unique way. Never compare your filling with somebody else's. Your use for another's use. The boat was designed for the right purpose and you're made for the right thing. By the way, when Jesus steps into this boat, it doesn't say the boat was new. It doesn't say the boat had an outboard motor. It doesn't say it had a cabin. It just says it was empty and in the right place. And lives that are empty and in the right place can be filled by God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, he jumps into this boat. Oh, can you imagine the boat's surprise that Jesus jumped into it? That it was designed, it thought, for fishing and now was used for preaching for an ignoble purpose and suddenly used for a noble one. Thought its call was low and discovered its call was high. An empty life quickly discovers that God's got something greater in mind than you and I have understood, than people have ever seen in us. What God sees in our lives is greater than man. Come on, can you say yes this morning? Yes today? 
Then the Bible tells us that once Jesus has jumped into it, that Jesus is that now says, now launch out. Oh, my friends, it's an amazing thing to have God step into your life, but he never steps in you to leave you where you are. The next thing God always says, it's a buzz when God begins to use you. It's an amazing thing when God begins to do something through your life, when you know that he is with you. But God is not the God who leaves us where we are. If God comes to us, there will always now be another thing, an empty boat he steps into. What he steps into, he always calls further. If God is stepping into your life, then he will always call you further than you are right now. Beyond your limits, beyond your comfort zone, launch out into the deep. Let's go beyond where we've ever been before. He calls us. He awakens our potential. Then he asks us to launch out. Mediocre is not his style. Hello? Normal is not his deal. He calls us beyond the Jordan. He calls us outside of our comfort zone. Once God gets you, God then intends to shadow where you think you could even go. Would you be willing to cross over into uncharted territory? When God jumps into our lives, He asks us to go beyond where we might even think we could go. Radical obedience is the only way to God's blessing. The Bible tells us that the obstacle becomes apparent in verse 5 when Peter, sorry, when Simon responds and says, Master, we have, we have fished all night. We have worked hard all night, are his exact words. We have worked hard all night. There's two types of weariness that you can get in life. There's weariness from accomplishment. And there's weariness from disappointment. The weariness of accomplishment is one deal. Nets full after a night of fishing is one deal. A life that has had success in it, that is exhausted, is one thing. But all oh my friends, it's another thing. When you fish all night and you're still empty, when you've been going at it for a while and it hasn't happened in your life, when it's not happening, even though you're working it, it brings a weariness, not just of the body, but of the soul. And in that moment, when the call of God comes to a life, the first thing that call has to overcome is our own internal weariness. Master, we've been working hard. We've worked hard. And we've worked hard all the night. This entire night we've been working, we feel drained. We feel disillusioned. And in those moments, it becomes hard to understand that the God of the universe has now stepped in. And when He steps in, possibility gets redefined. See, when Jesus steps into your life, see, one thing that happens to us during delays is that we begin to reassess our potential. When we're in seasons of delays, when we've been empty, but it's not happening, when we're empty, but we're yet to be filled, if we're not careful, we start to get a misread on what we can even do. We find this with Moses. Moses knew that he was called to be God's deliverer. And Moses was right. He was called to be God's deliverer. 
But he tried it in his own strength and failed in his own strength. And the Bible says that because he was full of himself and he didn't do it and through the power of God that he ended up in the wilderness and spent 40 years saying, I tried, I worked hard. And now, and now I'm, it's not working. It's not happening like I desire it to happen. The scripture says that when God comes to him, the hardest thing for God to overcome in Moses' life is the understanding that just because it didn't work without me doesn't mean it won't work with me. See, in our lives, the greatest shift to realize is that we can never lower our level of expectation based on our current experience. When experience defines expectation, then lives get elevated beyond God's word. When what we've seen already takes place over what God says that he can do, that moment God becomes lower and our reason becomes higher. Idolatry is placing our understanding above God's revelation. And my friends, there's only one way that the will of God is outworked in our lives, realizing Jesus never calls you beyond because God intends to take you down. If God calls us out, if God calls us further, if God speaks to us again about a new level, a new step, a new faith venture, oh, I've just got this feeling this morning that God is looking for empty vessels that He can step into. But if God's going to step into an empty vessel, then the vessel has to realize that what it could do alone has got nothing on what God can do when He steps in. He can confound our expectations. He can take us higher. Happened not only to Moses, it happened to Peter when Peter said, I will, I will stand, I will stand. Even though everyone else falls away from you, everyone else denies you, I will never deny you. I am mighty in myself. And the Bible says that even though he thought he had it going on, that he failed in himself. And then he went back to fishing. Disillusioned. He worked hard. It hasn't happened. That, that perhaps, that perhaps is the greatest trap in life. When you're in the moment when God is trying to step in, when, when we allow what has happened to taint what God could do, it's perhaps the most dangerous thing in this entire passage. Imagine if Peter had let that hurt trump, trump the challenge of God. By the way, the, the Jesus who jumped into his boat doesn't know more about fishing than he does in the natural. I mean, Peter is a fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter. Trades identified people. We're talking about an age. I mean, now people ask you in some cultures, and you know, in, in New Zealand, it's a myriad depending on your cultural background. But in some groups, one of the first questions asked is, what do you do? We get a feeling for who you are by the job that you do. And Jesus is a carpenter conversing with a fisherman, and he says, launch out into the deep. It's easy to think that you know more than God. It's a lot easier than you think. I found oftentimes that when God comes to us, what He calls us to do is against the grain of our own natural understanding. This is an important part of being filled. It's an important part of being used by God, is bowing intellect to God's obedience, to what God asks of us. 
And the Bible tells us that when Peter hears this challenge, he says, you know what? I've got to fess up. I'm weary. I'm disillusioned. I've worked hard all night. But you know what? He says in verse, I believe it's verse 6, at your word, sorry, at verse, verse 5, if you say so, if you say so, then I will obey you. If this is what you want from me, then I'm going to give it a shot. This is where it kicks in again. This whole passage is like layers and levels, and we've got another couple to go, so get ready. But we find an empty vessel that Jesus steps into. Jesus steps in, and he calls it further. Experiences want to hold it back. But then Peter says, if you say so, then I will respond to you. I will place. See, sometimes in life, we do have to choose that we're going to risk obedience. And it might lead to failure that it might not work out the way we want. I want God to use me. He will, but he will always ask you to risk something. There's no obedience of God without defying some natural law. True? There's no way that works. The only way God jumps into our lives is when obedience trumps experience. If you say so, if you say so, then the Bible says that he goes out into the deep. He paddles out. His boys are like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? More fool you. The fish are easy to catch with a net at nighttime. Here you are in broad daylight, the sun illuminating every action that you're making. Now you're lowering down a net. Fishing's done at night. It's a nocturnal activity. It's not something you do during the day. Oh man, this is like Elisha on the top of Mount Carmel when he's having a standoff between the prophets of Baal and himself and he's saying, whichever God answers with fire, that's the real God. And they have all day to do it. He's got only the moments in the fading dusk of the day. But the Bible says before Elijah prays for fire, the first thing he says is let's pour water on the sacrifice. Let's make this so difficult that there's no way it can happen naturally. No one's going to be able to say, this is spontaneous fire. It just got a little bit hot on top of this mountain. Spontaneous fire. There's always questions, always people trying to pull down the miraculous. Sometimes God waits until it's too hard for any person to do it. He sets up circumstances to lead it to a point when he gets the glory. Sometimes when God asks you to do things, you know that in the natural, if you waited, if you circumstantially aligned it to a better season or a better window, then it will be more likely to take place place, that will never lead us to the plan God has. All right, if you want me to, I'm going to give it a shot. So in broad daylight, he paddles out. He grabs that net. He grabs that net. He's obeying God. But when he puts in the net, the Bible says that in verse 6, so great was the catch of fish that it threatened to break the net. Not only is this a wonderful miracle, it's also an unbelievable lesson. There's more than one lesson. Let me give you the first one. The first lesson in this is that if God steps into a life, He never leaves it worse than when He jumped in. See, if God jumps into a life, if God jumps into a boat, then God is no man's debtor. That's what the Scripture says. God is no man's debtor. Put it another way. God is a great tipper. 
If you give God your boat, He won't return it to you dirty. If God takes your boat, He won't use it and then leave you broke at the end of it. This is so key to obeying God is to understand that if God jumps into a life and He uses a life, the only reason why He said go out for a catch of fish is He's saying if I'm going to use it, then I'm going to bless it. And this is so true in our lives. When God uses us, God blesses us. Come on, that's, that's encouraging right there. Yeah, Ray just moved to Dunedin. He's pumped about that. If he's taken a step of obedience and moved to Dunedin, then God isn't just going to use his life and impoverish it. God's going to use it and God's going to bless it. Yes, good news. Whatever is surrendered to God is going to be blessed by God. Whatever is empty and then filled is going to be blessed. Wherever God moves, wherever God touches, he makes it better than it was before. But the second thing that I learned from this lesson is I learned that I better not only empty myself, I better get ready. See, it's one thing to be empty and wait for God to move. It's another thing to occupy the time while emptiness is taking place. See, when we are empty, when we're in the preparatory stages, that's what this message is really for, for the seasons of life where you're trying to get ready for God to take you further. We need not only empty ourselves, but I bet you Peter was there going, oh my gosh, if only this net was better. If only this net was bigger. I emptied it. I mean, I made this boat ready. But only if I, nets speak of constructs, structures, they speak of containment, they speak of capacity. If only I had realized that it's not just a dormant season of emptiness and waiting, but it's also a season where I need to get my capacity bigger. I need to expand my realm of what God could do. Here's something that we've got to know about God. If God's going to move, God's going to move big. (laughs) True. This is the pattern of church history. It's the pattern of revival. It's the pattern of God moving in lives. The things are empty. They pause. It seems like nothing is happening. And then bam, suddenly everything happens overnight. This is the pattern of spring. It's the pattern of blessing. It's that God suddenly jumps in to a garden that looks like it's been doing nothing. But roots have been going down. Nutrition has been soaking up. And then bam, everything explodes. I want you to know that God never gave any person a dream in order to leave it as a distant fantasy. He always intended to fulfill it. There's no life that God has given a promise to that God does not intend to fulfill it. But we must make sure that we not only empty ourselves, but we get ready for what God is going to do. The Bible talks about 10 virgins, and it says five of the virgins were foolish and five of them were wise. And the reason why is that the five foolish virgins, virgins, not virgins, virgins, the five foolish virgins only half got ready. They only had half the amount of oil. The wise ones had enough oil. They had enough foresight, enough vision to realize that if the master is going to come, then the master is going to do something big, and I better get ready for that moment. Then in verse 8, the Bible says that Peter realized what had happened. You know, one of the greatest challenges in life is that sometimes we're in the middle of it, but we don't realize it. I love the way verse 8 is recorded in the New Living Translation because it says Peter realized what had happened. 
in the middle of the miraculous using of God, there is a portion of people that God is using them, but they just don't understand what's going on. Wonder is an awakening to Christ, and wonder is an ongoing thing that must be part of our journey. We've got to look back in life sometimes and realize how far we've come. If we don't, we miss the hand of God at work. Especially in our culture, where everything's about looking forward, perhaps, or looking around, or looking above, and seeing something else. It's important that we stop and we realize what has happened. Peter, Peter could have pulled in those fish and then just got on with his life. But praise God that he had the understanding. He had, he had, he had, the, he had the reason, the, 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 the thought to stop and go, hang on a minute. This is amazing. This is miraculous. This doesn't happen. He realized what had happened. And then the Bible says that when he realized what had happened, see, let me just pause on this for a second and say this is most often when God manifests himself to us. It's not in the arena of our unfamiliarity, but in the arena of our expertise. The pattern of scripture, I believe the pattern of history is that where God most shows himself at work is in the area where we know the most. What Peter knows is fishing. What the Magi knew was stars. Then they see one star that's not there and it leads them to Jesus. The intervention of God into our natural environment is always to lead us to Jesus, to help us to understand what has actually happened. And what's actually happened is Jesus just stepped in. The unexplainable is beginning to take place because Jesus just stepped in. And I believe with all my life that our, 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 our need in life is to live where Jesus is stepping in. Then in verse 8, it says that he falls to his knees and he says, oh Lord, leave me. The banking come. Oh Lord, leave me. Leave me. Depart from me. For I am much, too much of a sinner to be near to you. An empty boat gets ready for God. What's ready for God? Has God step in? God steps in and awakens potential. Once God awakens potential, He calls you out. He calls you out. He does something miraculous. He does something miraculous. It empties us again. See, the next thing that happens is Peter, when he falls to his knees, he's saying, ah, ah I'm too much of a sinner. I, 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 I've still got things to empty from my life. I've got to let go of more. You are too holy to be near to me right now. This is not just my boat you're now stepping into. This is a whole nother deal. You stepped into one area of my life. You stepped into my boat. But now you're stepping into something greater. You're stepping into my all. And Peter had an empty boat, but now he has an empty life. And the Bible says he empties himself as he sits there on his knees as he kneels and he says, empty, I'm empty, I'm emptying myself. And as he emptied himself again, the Bible says that Jesus speaks to him and he says, don't be afraid. Verse 10, from now on, you will be fishing for people. Put this all together into one simple thought. 
awakenings to God or awakenings to potential. When you come awakened to Christ, you begin to discover who you are. God never shows you His hand and leaves you the same. When Jesus resurrects a spirit, He resurrects their dreams. Peter thought that this was the end. And he discovered in a moment that it was only the beginning. This is the end of the miracle. You are amazing. We call it quits here. No, no, no. I am amazing. And it all starts here. And it's always the way with God, isn't it? That when life is empty, the life then gets filled. There's only one thing Jesus ever found empty that left empty. And that's a tomb. Everything else God ever filled, He kept it filled. And it flows over always in our lives when the life is given to Jesus. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.